Hey guys, this is Kevin Sorbo, and uh, you are so lucky to be listening to Christian Music Guys podcast. Count your blessings right now and count them more because, hey, you might get to listen to me. How lucky is that? Today we sit down with Hercules himself, actor Kevin Sorbo. Welcome back to the Christian Music Guys podcast, the podcast for Christian music fans by Christian music fans. Well, in our galaxy, there are many, many planets and there are many moons. Apparently, NASA has confirmed in our solar system that there is a moon bigger than the Earth that's orbiting a Jupiter-like planet. The planet and its moon, if it really is a moon, they say, orbits a sun like the stars that's over 5,000 light years away. They said the moon is pretty alien compared to any moon in the solar system. An astronomer from Columbia University says... Astronomer. I said astronomer. You said astronomer. Astronomer. Anyway, the astronomer, he says, we're not sure if it's rocky. We're, we're not sure if it's gaseous. It's kind of in between the size of Neptune, he says, which is gaseous, and the Earth, which is rocky. This isn't the first time astronomers have spotted something that might be a moon in another planetary system, which is sometimes called, they say, exomoon. So there might be another moon out there. But, they, but they're not sure it's a moon. Because they said, if it is a moon, so they don't even know. No, but they're saying there might be one. You said they're saying it's around Jupiter? Yes, 5,000 light years away. Is it the one called Europa? It didn't really have a name. Uh, It just said that, you know, they spot things like that and they're called exomoons. Because it said it wasn't the first time that astronomers have spotted something like that, that they are called exomoons. I guess my only question is, what kind of cheese is it made out of? <laughs> the best cheese uh, ever. It better, be go- it better be Gouda. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> the cheese jokes. Uh, <laughs> wow. No, but the there's a moon around Jupiter called Europa that is, they say it's possibly ha- habitable. Is that the word? Habitable. Yeah, livable, habitable. You yeah. know, what? I actually have a I have a gripe with NASA and space people. How come Jupiter's moons get names like Europa and all that stuff? Our moon is just called Moon. We're like the generic brand of planet, like. We have Earth, and our Earth has a moon. We don't have a name for our moon. All these planets have cool names. We should make a name for our moon. You know what you call cows on a moon? Moon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> cut cut that, please. Gosh. No, uh, Luna. Isn't that our moon's name, or is that just moon That's in another That's just moon language? in Latin and Spanish, yeah. Oh, okay. But we don't have a name for it. Like We need a cool name for it. If you're out there and if you have a cool name for a moon, let us know your name, the name for the moon. What are we naming our moon? We're, we're going we to name we're our moon a because poll. 
we're naming moons that are 5,000 light years away, and we haven't even named ours. I, f- I see a problem there. Ginger moon. Well, but isn't moon a made-up name anyways? I mean, what right? are we going to call it? Big rock in the sky. <laughs> Who named? Well, I mean, moon. we named moon. moon, moon. So that is what we know as a moon. So when we talk about other moons, we are talking in reference to our moon named moon. Oh, that's deep. I'm just going to call <laughs> every car. Blown, then, y'all. then that's like me calling every car, <laughs> car. What kind of car do you drive? Car. Because yeah. that's the name we gave the automobile, car. And why is it called food? Hmm. How is this an intro? I- <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we sit down with Kevin Sorbo, actor, producer, director. So let's get into that interview. Awesome, Kevin. Well, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us and talk today. What we like to do here on our podcast before we have a guest on is we'll actually kind of stalk them a little bit on their Instagram, see what's been going on in their lives, and we try to find something interesting, which your Instagram's full of rather interesting things, so we had to kind of pick. And I kind of landed on being in the Iditarod sled race, dog sled race, which looked amazing. Uh what was that about? How'd you get to opportunity to do that? Uh, you know, they, they invited me to be the celebrity starter for it. You know, people don't know what the Iditarod is. I think they've been running it for at least 50 years. It's a thousand mile uh, dog sled race across the uh, beautiful state of Alaska. And I'm glad last year at this time I was filming a movie because um, they were averaging 40 degrees below temp zero. Um, so I was able to make it this year and we were around 35 degrees. So literally 75 degrees warmer. And I can handle that. I grew up in Minnesota, so I grew up in that ultra cold, cold weather. But uh, uh, it was just fun, and I got to do the first eleven miles with another, with one of the one of the racers. So they hook up my sled about ten feet behind his sled. Then we had the twelve dogs for the first eleven miles, which is a pretty easy little track through trees, and you go through town, and people are waving, they're throwing you know candy at you, and it's like Halloween or something. It was pretty funny. But um, it, it was neat. It was great to go up there because I've been there before in the, in the summertime. I was fishing. I got invited by ESPN to go up there and fish and I went to Kodiak Island. I saw 12 grizzlies over three days. That was nerve wracking enough. Wow. But uh, it was neat to go up there in the wintertime to see it uh, like that and have nice weather, at least while we're doing it. So that's that's how that happened. Maybe you mentioned Instagram. I, I don't post on there enough. I maybe, you know, maybe three times a week. I, I do most of my stuff off of Twitter. Mm. Uh, Facebook took me down a year ago for posting the truth because Zuckerberg is a little bit of a wuss and he doesn't like the truth. He loves darkness. He loves hate and anger. Um, pretty much what the left loves. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I want to shine light on their darkness and I want to shine truth and, you know, a little bit of redemption and faith and forgiveness and things like that. But um, that's the battle that I have. And I'm pretty sure the same battle you guys have. But, uh, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's the social media is an interesting place. Because too many people, I mean, I, I tell my kids, you know, growing up, I said, you know, the Internet's really the Wild West. The technology is an amazing thing, but there's a lot of evil that goes on. And uh, I think this the technology world has is, is brought evil to a bigger forefront, which is pretty sad. How, how long did it take to um, go 11 miles with those dogs? Um, it's about an hour. That's what they average, really. They, they're oh, wow. about 10, 10 miles an hour running. So uh, and it was interesting to watch them because if they get thirsty... 
they call it they call it scooping where the dogs at their own time will just reach to the snow banks on either side and just take a gulp while they're still running. Just take a gulp and chew on the ice and chew on the snow. Um, and uh, they're able to poop and pee at the same time while they're running. That was a weird thing to see because I was right behind the dogs going, what the heck is that? You know, but they don't lose their steps. And I asked, I asked Deke, who was the, the actual driver, the guy who was in the race. He goes, yeah, we train them that way. You train them to poop on the run. Okay. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, things wow. you never things you never see in the movies, right? No, no, it was, <laughs> but it was, it was still, it was really, really neat to be part of it, and uh, and then we got to take a um, a uh, a plane, a little a little prop plane out to about the first stop. Once the race really gets going, after the longest part of the race of the first of the second leg, and so we were sitting on a river having a barbecue on the ice on this river as the dogs went by us, and I was like. You know, most people don't get the chance to ever see this. So I, I it was very, I was very blessed to be able to uh, to witness it and see it because it's really cool. And these dogs, they want to go. I mean, these dogs just want to run. It's, they live it's for pretty, it. Right? Pretty amazing. Yeah, it, I was thinking when you were talking uh, when you told us about the weather. I was thinking, man, only a guy that's from Minnesota could call that nice weather because. When in the video I saw, it looked like your eyebrows were frozen, and it well, still it was, looked cold. It, it, and I was, was like, snowing. "There's no way." It was snowing hard, man. It was like uh, there was a. It was coming down. The wind was going pretty good, but it was still. It was warm for for that that time. Trust me, I didn't. I didn't get cold because it was. Yeah. I mean, I know I I ski a lot. We just got back from skiing actually up in Park City, Utah, and um, they were unusually warm because uh, it it would be like it's 55 degrees by noon, and by then the snow's melting, and it's just. Not good to ski and that kind of stuff, but the, you get about two good hours in the morning, then it just gets too hot. So, Kevin, let's go, let's go back to the early days. I guess sure. I think you started back in the eighties, but um, the days. How do, so? How did you get into acting? How did you know Hercules happen? And just let's just go back and tell tell our listeners how did you get started. I'll, I'll try to do the cliff note version because that's a lot there. Um, well, I was eleven years old, and um, uh, our grade school went to see The Merchant of Venice uh, in downtown Minneapolis. There's a theater called the Guthrie Theater, very famous theater. A lot of actors go there from Broadway. A lot of plays start there before they go to Broadway. The Lion King is a perfect example of something that moved to Broadway and became a smash hit. And um, it was The Merchant of Venice. It was Shakespeare. And uh, I was just mesmerized by the actors on stage. And I mean, I don't know what the heck they were saying because I was 11 and it was Shakespeare, but it was still mesmerizing for me. And I told my mom, I'm, I'm going to be an actor. And she said, that's nice, dear. But um, I was a jock. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy all, all through school. And uh, it's just something you wouldn't admit to your buddies because of peer pressure, because they would have made fun of me. And I, I bowed to that. So college sort of, I think, allows people um, to sort of open up and be a little bit more who they really are. I took a business. I had a double major in college, marketing and advertising. But I had a minor in drama and really got into it then and started doing a lot of commercial work. Minneapolis is home to a lot of international companies. Uh, people don't realize they're all Minneapolis, like Best Buy and 3M and Cargill mm-hmm. and Honeywell, Pillsbury, General Mills, Best Buy, um, Target. All these places are there. So I was able to get that all-important Screen Actors Guild card by, and during my college years doing all these commercials. So when I did uh, move to L.A., I was a- easy to get a commercial agent. And... Uh, uh, at least that really fed the beast for me because I never had to work another job. Um, 
in terms of, you know, most actors in LA are, you know, they're a waiter or waitress, they're, they're bartenders, they're bouncers, they're selling cars, whatever. I was able to make a living in the business right away. And I'm very fortunate that way. Then I would get guest spots here and there. And I took the different acting classes that people said, you know, I, I just remember said, you know, my dad was that way too. He says, if you're afraid of something, that's what you got to go after. If you're, if you're intimidated by something, then maybe you have to face it, you know? And so people would say, well, this, co- this coach is tough to get into this acting coach. Um, you got to go through all this process. And I, boom, I said, then that's what I'm going to do. And um, I, I studied with three different guys over a six year period uh, before I got the, the big break on Hercules. Um, and that was seven auditions over about two and a half months where they, uh, they auditioned over 2,800 actors in North America for that role. Wow. And I got down the last three guys and ultimately I got it. Uh, initially, it was going to be five two hour movies. Um, Anthony Quinn playing Zeus. So I got to work with amazing Anthony Quinn, mm-hmm. six time nominated for an uh, Oscar, twice a winner. And um, I learned so much working that whole year with him. And by the third movie of the five, Universal Studios said, we love what we see and uh, we're going to make it a series. And I had a feeling they would because I said, there's nothing like this on TV. And, uh, you know, those mythology, they had a lot of good moral uh, encouragement in it. There was a lot of humor in it. Uh, we had two spinoff series. In our third year, we spun out Xena, Warrior Princess. In our fifth year, we spun out Young Hercules. A lot of people forget about that one. It only lasted two seasons. Um, but that was a, a 20-year-old Ryan Gosling playing me as a teenager. Oh, wow. and Ryan was yeah. unknown at that time. And then um, by our third year in Hercules, we became the most watched TV show in the world. We're in 176 countries. I know that's a sin of pride, but I don't know how many people can say they've ever had the number one show in the world at one time. Yeah, no, so awesome. it was it was pretty cool to be part of that. And then I, from there, I went to do five years on Andromeda, playing Captain Dylan Hunt, the first captain ever created by Gene Roddenberry after Captain Kirk. And then since then, I just wrapped my 70th movie. I've been really involved in doing a lot wow. of independent movies since then. So um, but very, very great. I got four new movies I did last year, two of them I directed, and I'm leaving for Israel. I'm about to shoot a documentary there on an on a, on a archaeological dig where they've discovered the oldest temple they've ever found. And so it's kind of cool. It's um, I've been very blessed to travel and do the things I like to do and um, hopefully do a lot of movies that, uh, uh, you know, spread positive messages instead of negative ones. I've done some dumb movies. There's about a dozen movies I wish I didn't do. <laughs> but these things happen sometimes. Now, now, Kevin, tell us, did you save your costume from Hercules? And sometimes if you did, do you ever get the urge to put it on and run around the golf courses and you know, do your thing. I'm not going to take out on public. No, but, uh, <laughs> I have three of the original five outfits. The other okay. two, I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe, maybe cause Nyla Dixon was our wardrobe and she went on to win the Academy Award for Lord of the Rings on the wardrobe there. So we got to work with someone. I lived in New Zealand seven years. That's where he shot up my entire crew, really the training. Cause New Zealand didn't have that big of a, a movie or television industry down there. Mm. But you know, here we had three shows and, you know, I think we had over seven people on the payroll and we're bringing in probably about a hundred million dollars a year into the economy there. And uh, we're the ones that really trained a lot of things. I mean, Peter Jackson actually invited me to the final um, Oscars, Lord of the Rings, where they won all those Oscars yeah. during that last one. And he said, you know, it was your show that really created the industry down there. And I said, Peter, that's a nice compliment, but you didn't give me one role at, in any of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. Even if you kill me off, give me something. Throw Come me on. a bone. I don't get it. My ego's not that big. Give me, give me something, you know. You have more than one character in, the, in any of those movies. But Now, was that down um, in Wellington? No, no. They're, they're based in Wellington. We were based in Auckland. 
Okay, yeah. But, so uh, those, I've, I've been to Ireland. Studios, like all of our special effects were the guys that went on to win all those Oscars yeah. for all the creatures they created in Lord of the Rings. So they did all of our creatures on Hercules. Oh, that's so, awesome. Awesome. Um, it was cool. I mean, I was blessed to be part of that. New Zealand's fantastic. The people are great. The Beautiful. country's just stunning. I mean, the, 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 the outdoor scenery is as big a star as anything in the, in the series. Yeah, I had the opportunity to go a couple of years ago to uh, Auckland, and we went to Mata Mata, where Hobbiton is, and it's just beautiful country, beautiful yeah. country. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. A lot of people don't realize there's more there's more variety of trees and bush and plants than there than there are in the Amazon. Yeah, it's in, stunning. In New Zealand. Kevin, would you would you be willing to share your testimony with with us and our viewers and, and you sure. know how how you found God and well, you know, I, I grew up with, I mean, I grew up a typical Scandinavian, I'm Norwegian and uh, typical in that world, you know, we're all Lutherans. And uh, I went to St. John's Lutheran Church as a kid. Um, I thought the pastor, Pastor Sanders was boring as boring could be. All he, all he wanted to talk about was fire and brimstone, like breathing was a sin. I mean, this guy, even <laughs> as a kid, I'm like, going, hey, I think we I went to the same kid, church, like, eight Kevin. Years old, my parents, I said, I don't think God's that mad at us. I think that, <laughs> you know, I think he feels sorry for us and sad that when we go off the track and stuff, but, um, but then, you know, the Old Testament can be pretty nasty in there. So there was pretty vengeful God in there. In the New Testament, you know, God had a kid, then he mellowed out a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, was, I was 13, and our church went to see the Reverend Billy Graham because they, they had their, I think their corporation, their company worked a lot out of the St. Paul Twin Cities area for years. And um, so we, I don't know, we took like seven buses to go see him. There was like 250,000 people there. It was, I remember it was a hot August night. I remember it explicitly, and you'll see why in a second. But I remember it like, I, I remember it. And uh, hot August night, full moon out, just this 250,000. But you could just feel, you could feel, it's like a, a, like a living organism. It was just weird if the power of that many people watching and applauding and, you yeah. know, screaming and yelling good things up to him, you know. And at the end, he, he said, I've got a lot of volunteers up here. Please come up if you want to talk, pray, whatever. Something I normally wouldn't have done. And I just got up and walked down there because I just felt I just wanted to. And I sat on the ground and I was with this guy who's probably about 30 years old. To me, I was a 13 year old, like 30. He's like old guy. I take 30 right now in a heartbeat. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and we're talking. We weren't praying. We're just talking, getting, getting to know. You know, he's asking me about me and school and things. And all of a sudden, a hand gently went on my, my top of my head and I turned. And there was the Reverend Billy Graham. And the moon was directly behind his head. So like this, this glow, this, oh, wow. oh yeah. music going on. I get goosebumps every time I tell this. And um, it was just cool. And we talked and he prayed for me. And uh, I told that story on Larry King years ago. It was on Larry King's show. And somebody from um, um, Billy Graham Foundation and the Chicken Soup for the Soul people Mm-hmm. We're doing his book. And it was the first time Chicken Soup for the Soul, we're going to do a hardcover book. All their books are, are paperback. They never yeah. do hardcover. But for him, they want to do a hardcover book. 101 stories of, of people meeting, you know, something to do with Billy Graham. So they asked me, would you write that story? And I said, oh, heck yeah. So you wrote this like thing, two, three page story. You know, that's, they're all very quick chapters. And then when the book was coming out, I get a call from Larry Ross. And Larry runs um, everything for Billy Graham. I'm based out of Dallas. And I'd met the guy before. And um, he said, hey, uh, the Reverend Billy Graham, uh, you know, he's well into his 90s. He can't get around. His health isn't good. He, they, they, he asked if you would be willing to go, we'll fly you around and do publicity for the book. And I was like, sign me up. Right. I mean, it was such an honor 
to, to out of 101 stories in there, and they pick my silly little 13 year old kid. But anyway, when you think about it, it's like, you know, it's the innocence of youth, right? Um, which we're losing too quickly in our fast grow up world now. But um, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool to be part of it. And uh, I've become very good friends with Dr. Franklin Graham since then. Yeah. Um, we keep in touch on a regular basis. And was, we did a thing in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. Um, there was a walk that we did in the same time, a place called The Return. I spoke in front of 150,000 people at the, at the mall there. I mean, it was, awesome. it was just, it's been amazing the doors that have opened up to me from the movies I've been involved with since Hercules and Andromeda. So I've been very fortunate and very blessed. And so um, I think, you know, through my teens and 20s, I went through some things, you know, I think everybody does trying to fight and figure things out. But I never stopped right. believing. I was never the type of guy that really questioned it because I like, for me, I just look up at the stars. I look around the I go, guys, somebody started this and it wasn't you or me. You can't get something from nothing. I don't care how, you know, where does, right, yeah. where does God come from? I said, that's not my problem. But somebody started all this. And one day we'll understand all this because we all know how this ends. So my dogs are barking. Yeah, it's no worries. <laughs> well, you know what? That, my first movie, Pure Flix, actually is one of my all-time favorites. And it's called What If? And yeah. it, unfortunately, Pure Flix just... I don't blame them for not doing a, a, a better job of it, but they admit to it. You know, they admit to not really getting enough. It's tough for, for lower budget movies. It's tough to get them out there and and get the press that you need to get them out there um, when you're competing with Hollywood's three hundred million dollar Avenger and Pirates of the Caribbean movies because those, those they spent a hundred million dollars on promotion for those movies. We can't compete with that, so we got to hope for strong word of mouth is what we got to rely on. Right. And um, I did a movie called What If. Uh, Dallas Jenkins directed it, who's now doing The Chosen. Yeah, and he's just amazing. I was just yeah. in Fort Worth recently, uh, recently with um, Jordan Peterson and uh, Ted Cruz did a speaking event there with those guys. That was really cool. And Dallas lives there now. So we got together, he and his wife, Amanda, and had a lovely lunch with my wife as well. And um, talking about other projects down the road. But uh, Dallas directed us to that. And What If... Um, I have shot 70 movies. I put that in my top three. I, it's better than God's Not Dead in my book. It really is. Same writers that did God's Not Dead. Uh, and they came to me a couple years later after What If? And they said, hey, uh, we got another movie for you. Uh, it's an interesting role. I don't know if you want to play it. And I read the script and I said, heck yeah, I want to play this. I know atheists like these guys. Yeah. I know people that do this kind of thing. So um, I, I, I jumped on that bandwagon right away. And I had a blast doing it because I've seen too many people like that. You know, I've seen these Absolutely. guys on CNN. And, and MSNBC, these these guys who are atheists that get so angry and so mad about a God they don't believe in. And and part of me feels sorry for them. The part I laugh about it because it just cracks me up. And um, so I, I looked at that and then people said, how can you play a part like that? And I said, well, I thought of a Christian and then I take away all reason and accountability. And that's a line I stole from Jack Nicholson yeah. in the movie. So um, it it was so well written and it was so well done. And what I love about movies like that is uh, there's redemption in there, right? Because that's, I think a lot of people look for, you know, look at the world we live in now. We got so much anger, so much hate. And that stems from people that don't have a belief. People have no faith. They have, I mean, to go through life like that, it, it's got to be a miserable way and a sad way to have to go through life, seriously. And, um, you know, I've got atheist friends and we talk about that. And we're still friends. We still talk. I got liberal friends that we did disagree, you know, politically. Still friends. But, you know, today's world that we live in, people are just looking all the time to be offended by something. And it's 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 sad to me. So that's what I think one of the biggest reasons for me to keep doing movies and documentaries like what I'm doing is because, you know, number one, we're called to harvest. Right. And I'm kind of doing it my own way, because since movies like God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light and Soul Surfer, I've gotten 
um, through the emails every day, through the fan site, or through you know through uh, just meeting, go walk through hotels or airport lobbies. What I mean, uh, uh, yeah, airport, whatever it doesn't matter. I get stopped every day by people saying, "Please keep doing the movies they're doing." There's plenty of haters out there. I know they're you know I, I get attacked all the time, which, which is fine. I don't care. It doesn't affect my life. Um, these people are, are are really sad people, and if they think more, you got to pray for them. I think than anything else. But um, th- those movies, it was it was what if that really made me want to go down a different road that maybe want to do. And I was already doing movies that are pretty good. I mean, I d- done I did a western prior to that called Avenging Angel that deals with that, um, and uh, other other family type Hallmark movies that had pretty good messages in them. And uh, you know, jumping back to Hercules, I I love that the writers put in a lot of moral messages. Yes, it was mythology, right? But it was it was dealt with not in a religious sort of way but more than anything it was dealt in a way that had you know as you as you said you know just just that you watched it it had a lot of humor in it and and i got letters from all over the world from kids saying you know um i've learned not to have to fight all the time if things don't go my way i've watched what you do hercules and it's it's interesting it's it's interesting and it it does show you how powerful the medium of movies and television are and walt disney said that back in the 50s that movies and television will influence our youth well Look what Disney's doing now to influence our youth. Right. Uh, it pretty right. much plays out in the streets right now. This is the battle we have in front of us. So what's it like being a conservative Christian in Hollywood? Is that interesting? <laughs> a conservative Christian in Hollywood is like being a double leper. Um, <laughs> my agent, the manager, they, they worked, they made a pretty good living off all the work that I was getting from my hard work, but their, their work as well. Uh, but then about 10 years ago, they called me and said, we can't work with you anymore. So before cancel culture was a term, they were already canceling things. And, uh, it's amazing to me. And I looked at them and I was kind of shocked by it. And I said, why? I said, well, the studios, because you're getting very, you know, they see you on social media. They see that, you know, in your interviews, you're, you know, openly talking about being a Christian or talking about being a conservative. I said, wow. I said, it's, it's amazing to me that you guys wear hypocrisy on your sleeve like they do. Because they're the ones who scream for tolerance, right? Right. Scream for freedom of speech. But it's all a one-way street with them. And, uh, you know, I, I always tell my liberal friends, you guys need to look up what the definition of liberal means. Because it doesn't mean hate those who have opposite points of view. <laughs> Liberalism should mean everybody's point of view is okay with us. Right. But now it's gotten so filled with hate and anger. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they want to drag us down with them. You know, they want to. I think that's where that term misery loves company comes from, right? They want to make you feel as miserable as they are, but uh, it's, it doesn't work for me. So I, I've just been fortunate to keep making the movies that I'm doing. And that's the toughest thing, you know, raising money for the movies we do because, you know, three, $4 million budget sounds huge. But once again, that's the catering budget in Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Yeah. But for us to try to raise that kind of money, it's like pulling teeth. And I meet, very wealthy people. I, I mean, I've golfed and I, I've golfed with almost every pro golfer you can mention. And in those meetings, you meet so many of these guys that are business guys, oil guys, tech guys, whatever, and they're conservative. And, um, you know, they'd rather spend $9 million on a politician that doesn't get elected. And they just flush $9 million down the toilet. And I said, I could have made three movies with that. That'd be out there forever spreading a positive message. But um, it's weird. They got, I think people got to realize we got a culture battle going on right now. And um, Hollywood is winning that culture. Kevin, at this point in your career, uh, how do you choose projects that come along that you want to be a part of now? What's your what's your thought process on on picking what you want to be uh, working with? 
Well, number one, before I forget, go to sorbostudios.com for people that are listening that can follow what my wife and I are both doing. Our, our, our websites are merged together. So sorbostudios.com, sign up. We'll keep you up to date what's going on. But through that site and through kevinsorbo.net, which we're now integrating into Sorbo Studios, I get I get so many scripts every day. People want me, you know, but I, I've got enough of my own. I probably read over a thousand scripts that I've got down to about 30 right now that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's where my focus is because everybody, oh, I got a great story. Well, okay, what's your story? You know, but um, nobody has any funding behind it. I said, look, I'm busy with my own projects right now. So it's it's just, to me, it doesn't have to be a faith-based movie. Every, every movie is a faith-based movie. Every movie has some sort. I mean, if you're atheist, that's a pretty strong faith to believe in absolutely right. nothing. Right. right. That's and every movie has an agenda. Everything pushes pushes something. And um, I want to do movies. I told earlier, I want to do movies that have hopefully, you know, hope and love and laughter and redemption and faith. And, uh, you know, laughter to me is the most important thing to me in terms of um, getting people loosen up a little bit out there. But uh it's it's got to be a movie that hits me. I love true stories. I've got I shot four movies last year. Two of them are based on uh, two stories. True stories. I just finished directing the next Left Behind book. It's been about eight years since the Left Behind movie came out. Nicholas Cage was in that one. Same guys I worked with that worked with him. I worked with. Mm-hmm. I took over the Nicholas Cage role. I'm playing the Raymond Steele role, and I directed as well. Um, this one is. Uh, I love this one. It's, it's a, it's, it's a real, I think it's easily the best of all of them that they put out. Uh, they did great writing on it. The cloud 10 guys up there, Paul Lalonde and John Pattison, his group of guys. And uh, it's called um, left behind rise of the antichrist. So um, okay. this is really the chapter that follows that, you know, that everything has already happened that those, those left behind are the ones who were left behind for a reason. And it's a very powerful scene in there where I, I walk into a church and see my wife's pastor. He was left behind. And I see that happening a lot in the church right now. You know, the church has become more woke, uh, which is just crazy to me. When I spoke to 450 pastors about six months ago in Dallas, Texas, and I said, you guys need to remember that you work for God, not for government. And I know I got a mixed reaction in that crowd because a lot of these guys, uh, I still love my pastor, Rob McCoy. Um, he works a lot with Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA. And Rob is, you know, we, we were 10 years at his church out in uh, Southern California where we live. Um, but we still watch him live every Sunday here at home. It's become our church here to watch Rob. And he's got my favorite line. He says, I am not afraid to work my congregation down to a manageable size. And I love that. <laughs> I just love that line. <laughs> he's, not, he's not there to appease and say, well, if you believe in this, even though, it, you know, something that God kind of frowns on, then you can still stay here. I mean, you, we, we've got it. Everything's with kid gloves now. And I don't have that. I mean, I don't have that great of a filter. And that's I, I, I'm fine with that. Uh, my wife even more so. So um, it's I, I think it's I think it's a good thing. And pe- I think people are afraid to speak the truth. And um, we got to get back to not being afraid to say, you know, what is what instead of putting different colors on things. Uh, the reality is there's a difference between light and darkness and truth and lies. And, you know, where do you, where do you want to live? Because I think you live in that in the world of lies and darkness. I think you just become more miserable day after day. Yeah. And you can't toe the line. You got to pick one way or the other. Can't have both. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of pastors are doing that, which is unfortunate. Kevin, when when people uh, watch a movie of yours or a project that you have going on, what what's your hope that happens when they check out one of your projects? That they tell a friend, and then they tell a friend, and more people tell a friend, because that's really the that's what happened when you mentioned God's Not Dead. That's what happened. That little two million dollar movie made one hundred and forty million dollars. Yeah, you kidding me? Yeah, seventy times return on its money. That's just unheard of. Um, and the, here's the interesting thing. 
of the thousands and thousands and thousands of movies that Hollywood has made since movies started being made, that was num that that ranks number five dollar for dollar return investment. Wow. I know people out there go, wait, wait a minute, Spider Man made two billion dollars. Right. Yeah, but it needed to make eight hundred million to break even. There's a big difference. Right. Yeah. right. People don't realize that part. They just think, well, I made two billion. No, well, yeah, they still made one point two billion dollars more right. volume of money, sure, but yeah. in terms of dollar for dollar. This movie was number five, God's Not Dead, and we couldn't get on the Today Show, Good Morning America, couldn't get on any network shows. Um, Fox would have us on, you know, Today's World, OAN would have us on, Newsmax, things like that. But because you have God in it, oh, God forbid, you, I don't know if you can do that. When I did Soul Surfer, they literally, if you see Dennis Quaid, he's reading the Bible next to Anna Sophia Robb playing Bethany Hamilton, okay? The Bible, Holy Bible, you can tell it's a Bible, right? but they blurt out the word Holy Bible. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, what? That's just, it's, it, it's so weird to me, you know, what we've done. And, you know, we took the Bibles out of the classrooms back in the religion, our classrooms back in 1964, right? Well, how is our public schools doing today? They look awesome, don't they? So I know. And you, you take, you take God out of the, uh, you know, you, I, I, I've got friends, like I said, I got friends who are atheists and they're good people. They're, they're good people. Mm -hmm. But overall, there's a there's a good message in Christianity. You don't. I, here's my problem with Christians because it's the same problem a lot of atheists have with Christians. They go, you, you think you're better than us. You think you're more perfect than us. And um, I said, well, I think in some cases you might be right. I said, I'm not. I I, I know I sin every day. I know right. that I'm not a perfect being in any way. And uh, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life that I regret. But um, uh, I think that's part of of uh, part of life, and that's part of being a human being. I mean, we we aren't we are none of us are perfect human beings, and I think Christians got to start not. There, there's a reason why you say you know look at the log on your own eye instead of the speck on your brother's because it makes total sense to me that uh, uh, it's the man in the mirror syndrome, right? You know, you you, you blame everybody else for your problems. The reality is you got to you know cue up Michael Jackson's song and look in the mirror. That's what the problem is. Yeah. Stop blaming. A God you don't believe in. Stop blaming family, friends, the government, the world for your problems in life. We're all going to hit roadblocks in life. How do you want to react to that? And too many people react to it in the wrong way. And they keep getting further and further down that black hole that uh, is not a good place to be. Yeah, we. It's you hinted on it earlier, right? It's that open discourse. It's, yeah, okay, maybe we don't agree on this, but... You know, I think we take the mentality of, well, I'm either going to completely block you out the moment you say something I don't agree with, or yeah. I'm going to complain louder than you. I'm going to yell louder than you yes, yell yeah. so my voice gets heard, you know, yep. and uh, and we lose that. There's so much loss there because you don't gain anything by that. No, no. I mean, look, I've already this cancel culture. I've lost speaking events and and appearances at Comic-Con shows. I still do Comic-Cons like because of Hercules and Andromeda. People want, you know, fans of the show. And what's interesting about that is that I don't just bring pictures of Hercules or I bring pictures from God's Not Dead, from Soul Surfer, from Let There Be Light, from, you know, what if, because half my people, half the people come to me now. They're not, they didn't come there to see Thor. They came to see me and they wanted yeah. to get those DVDs and those things signed. So I've changed Cobb kind of a little bit for people wanting to see, you know, the, the things that I do. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed for that. And I find that amazing. Uh, that it's fun for that. But I've had people cancel me because of it. Oh, you can't have him come here. All right. You know, he's a conservative. He's a Christian. You can't have him. And I'm going, wow. So who are these people that are saying this? Because they know who I am. Right. Why can't I face my accusers? I'm not there to, you know, get in a fight. I'm there to have, let's have an open debate. Let's have a chat about this. Sure. Why do you get the power over my life to, to stop, you know, 
my income capabilities are being hindered now because of you, some punk that uh, is that does nothing but probably, you know, is probably living off the dole and 35 years old, living in mom's basement on their computer, trolling anything and everything that right. you know, people hate. Because on Twitter, I got people that try. I mean, I can say it's a beautiful day here and people, you know, hope you die. And this attacks, I mean, I'm going, okay, keep that guy on there. I'm not threatening anybody's life. I just posted something about COVID saying, hey, 10,000 doctors say masks are useless. You can't say it. I go, oh, I didn't say it. Hey, look, here's the article. You know, but, you know, that's how you get taken down. It's it's incredible. Yeah, and I'm of course, of course it, I'm right about masks, by the way. So, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and they don't want to admit that now. But, you know, it's funny. I've been looking at kind of just everything going on. And I'm reminded in Proverbs where it says wisdom's children will prove her correct. And that's mm. happening now. There's a lot of people oh, yeah. that for the last few years have been super loud well, one way and now they're stopping and going wait a second maybe we were wrong about this and they're oh, just yeah. not kind of no, no, i do i do a lot on twitter and i do a very sarcastic funny one one or two liners and one of them was hey does anybody have any more conspiracy theories because mine keep coming true <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so you'd mentioned the left behind project you got coming uh what else can yeah. we expect from you for this year and the you know next year um I did the Reagan movie with Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid plays Reagan. I played his pastor in it. It's a wonderful look at his whole life. Really, I think they start with him in high school, through college and beyond up to his death. Um, then the movie I did, uh, Miracle in East Texas. It's a true story set in 1930. I was very blessed to be able to direct this one. It's one of my favorite movies. It's about two con men uh, played by myself and John Ratzenberger that, that would go through. They went through Oklahoma and Texas, right in the heart of the Depression in 1930, and woo widows out of their money on fake oil wells. Well, they end up striking oil in Kilgore, Texas, largest oil find in the history of the world. And the movie has, um, there's, it's a lot of, it's very funny. It's won 10 awards from 10 different film festivals. It's won everything from judges' favorite to best uh, romantic comedy, the best faith-based film, the best audience favorite. So they can't pigeonhole it, which I love. I put it in the vein of like a blindside movie mm. where people of faith went, wow, that wonderful Christian family took in that African-American kid and he went on to have a, you know, college career, mm -hmm. professional football career. And then other people said, no, that was a good football movie, you know, but right. the message is still in there. Right. And that's right. what this movie has. The message is in there. It's not, it's not an in your face, faith-based movie. It's not about, you know, but it's a movie that has redemption and hope in it, but a lot of laughter as well. And, uh, uh, Tyler Maine's in it. Lou Gossett Jr.'s in it. I mean, it was, it's a really, really well done script written by Dan Gordon. And Dan Gordon is an Academy Award nominated writer. He wrote, the Hurricane, Denzel Washington, and they wrote wider. Kevin Costner's film, he wrote 60 episodes of Highway to Heaven from Michael Landon. I mean, he's an amazingly gifted writer. And uh, it's a script that he had written like 35 years ago. And he kept sort of tinkering with it. And then um, he gave it to me. And we raised money and made the movie out of it. So we hope to have that out by around October. In fact, just before I was talking to you guys, I was just talking to a, a funder over in Germany that wants to get it all over Europe as well, which would be great. Because I'll tell you, Europe, Pretty secular place right now. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I spent three and a half years living in Europe and I've been over there multiple times. And churches now are either a discotheque or they're just as a museum piece. I mean, it's it's sad. It's it's sad that how nobody seems to go to church in Europe that much anymore at all, anywhere. Well, Kevin, to wrap things up, uh, we'd like to ask you if you'd be willing to share a story or testimony, something that's been going on in your life uh, recently that the Lord's been doing um, something that you'd be willing to share with our listeners to build up their faith. Um, what's the Lord been doing in your life here recently? Well, you, you know, 
The story I want to share is what has happened to me on more than one occasion, and it happened again just recently. And um, uh, at an airport, I had a woman walk up to me and ask me, um, am, am I Kevin Sorbo? And I looked at her, and from her voice, I could tell, and from her, you know, I said, she's from the Middle East somewhere. Mm. And I said, yes, I am. And she said that I saw your movie, God's Not Dead, and, because, and she said, well, number one, she said, I'm from Iraq originally. I'm a Muslim, born and raised a Muslim, but I saw your movie, God's Not Dead, and I became a Christian because of your movie. And wow. I just got recently baptized. And awesome. It was amazing. It was, she starts bawling, I start crying, we're praying in the middle of the airport. Awesome. Um, but just to have that kind of stuff, it shows me that I'm still on the right road to the things that I want to do and the, and the movies that I want to be part of. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie that's considered a Christian movie. But for the most part, I just want to do movies that have a, a positive message. The reasons I want to be an actor was watching old movies with my mom as a kid as well. I mean, watching, you know, um, you know, whether it was James Stewart or whether it was Cary Grant or whoever it may be. Um, those are the kind of movies I like because they had great human stories in there. Right now, the stories that anybody does are just are all visual effects movies, you know, and I like a good, you know, you know, roller coaster ride movie too, but you walk out not really caring about anybody. You watch another Spider-Man movie and you just watch six more buildings got blown up and pulled down in New York City. And I'm going, well, there was like 2 million people in those buildings. We're not talking about they all just got killed, you know? Right. So uh, people don't think about that. They're like, oh, cool, 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 you know? So to me, it's like, I want to do movies that have some kind of message in there that that will give people uh, give people hope and because um, we like I said, we need that more than anything in our world right now. So that's kind of where the road I want to keep going down. So I, I was grateful to meet people like that in person. I come up to me and say, keep making movies like that, because it's very encouraging with all the negativity out there. And I'll get a dozen people just walking to the airport. I wait for my luggage, come up, and shake my hand. And they say, we love what you're doing, man. We know that you're getting attacked, but we're with you and we're praying for you. And that's just that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Uh, real quick, could you let our listeners know uh, the website that you mentioned earlier where you want to send everybody to? Yeah, it's sorbostudios.com. Sorbostudios.com. There's a lot of stuff on there, guys. Our books are on there, DVDs, whatever, but just information to sign up. Uh, there's a place you can donate on there if you want to donate to Sorbo Studios directly, which is going to go into our next movie, or there's a place for you to donate to whatever your favorite charity is. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Kevin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Kevin, again for your time. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Please leave a five-star review on our podcast. It is much appreciated. Follow us on all social media platforms at Christian Music Guys. We are a listener-supported podcast. You can become a part of our team financially at christianmusicguys.com. We are so grateful for all of our supporters. Thanks again. See you next week. Oh, boy.